Amen. Say amen if you're looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ returning. I know I certainly am. Appreciate those guys singing that. If you have your Bible, please turn to Exodus 19 with me. And uh, you'll notice I'm not Pastor Lloyd. He is away with his family and uh, on a much-needed break, and we've been praying for him, so I pray that you continue to pray for him and his family while they're away, so they'll be away for the, the holiday period. Uh, I know not everyone has, has finished school and gone on holidays yet, but our school has, so he's taken this opportunity, so just pray for him, and I pray that he's revived and refreshed and uh, ready to return for what the Lord holds for us in term three, uh, Exodus 19, uh, I've had a few people already this morning say, oh, what's going on with your face? You got something on your face here. Well, this is what happens in the holidays, so you're just going to have to put up with it this morning. Uh, but I will show you a, a more beautiful, pretty face than mine. And uh, this one here is Abigail Winkler. So she was born, uh, I think, like 12.38 a.m. Friday morning. Um, I've got the details here. I'll give you the specs. Uh, 7.7 pound, and for those who have no idea what that is in kilos, that's three and a half kilos. 52 centimetres long, and I'm sure she'll get a lot longer than that because she's a winkler. So praise the Lord, baby and mum doing well, so pray for the winklers, and um, they've got a lot of girls in their family now, so we'll see if a boy comes along soon, but uh, praise the Lord for that. Good things like that happening all the time. It's good for us to share and just you know enjoy that together as a church. Uh, so Exodus 19 this morning, I'm going to have a look here. Thank you for Michael reading uh, those verses in Exodus 6. Um, just a little bit of a, a story about the Israelites and how God brought them out of Egypt and the things that he promised them, uh, the things that God had in store for them. And uh, sometimes we don't always see the end of what God's doing while he's doing it. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit about um, our perspective this morning. Um, but before we do, I'll just pray and then we'll ask the Lord to help us a little bit and um, then we'll get stuck into this. So if you bow our heads, we'll just have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you will return. Thank you, Father, that you are coming back for us and that, Lord, uh, we get to enter into your presence. We get to bow before you, Lord, and our Father, that you have redeemed us and uh, we are forever grateful for that, Father. Lord, we thank you for even this morning, for this church, uh, for our pastor, for, the, for those who are in this church, Lord, and, and labour in it, we thank you, Father, for the work that you're doing here. And our Father, we thank you for your word this morning, that we can open it in freedom today, that we can learn from it. And uh, we just thank you for loving us, for, for taking us on a journey, Father God. And I uh, thank you for each one that's here today. I do pray that uh, as we speak this morning that uh, we would be helped by your word. I pray that you'd be pleased with everything that takes place today. We thank you for the opportunity already to give to you and to sing unto you, Lord. And uh, Father, we ask that you'd help us uh, to receive what is needed today. I pray that you'd be pleased with what takes place. Lord, that you would be glorified, that your people would be edified, and uh, that you would uh, use this time for, for your glory. And uh, Father, we thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a man in this church... All the men are like, is it me? There's a man in this church that uh, I would say is extremely kind, extremely helpful, uh, sacrificial. I'm not talking about myself. <laughs> uh, very helpful, very considerate. Um, but I'll say this. I didn't always think of him like this. He's here today. And I'm not saying who it is, but he is all those things, but I didn't always 
think of him that way. I didn't always recognise those qualities in him. And not because they weren't always there, it's because I saw something else when I looked at this man. And I formed an idea in my head of what he was actually like based on what I saw with my eyes. So I would look at this man and I, I would see someone who was quite focused, quite often serious looking, uh, very determined, uh, perhaps could have been seen as a little bit blunt. And so when I saw these things in this man, that's what I thought he was like. I just thought that was the kind of guy that he was. I didn't even consider all these other nice qualities of him. Because I saw this, I formed an opinion of what he was like. And then because I formed that opinion, it kind of determined how I acted around him, how I interacted with him, how I did or didn't communicate with him, uh, perhaps even whether I would recommend somebody to go talk to him or not because I thought he was this very serious kind of person and I was like, uh, not sure if he's too friendly. So that kind of changed how I, how I acted around him. But here's the thing. I didn't really identify the kind, the helpful, the considerate attributes of this man because my opinion was based merely on just what I saw. But there's so much more to a person than just what you see on the outside. And I know we know this, but sometimes we kind of get caught up in just what we see and going off with what we see. And then I found that it is possible to look serious and be focused and be a very kind and helpful, considerate, sacrificial person at the same time because I got to know this, this man. And so that kind of changed then how I did interact with him, how I did talk with him, whether I did listen to him or not, whether I did uh, you know, recommend somebody to go and talk to him for advice and all that kind of stuff. So I found that after getting to know him a bit that, it wasn't just a one-sided thing. It was a more of a balanced view and a balanced perspective of who this man was. And, you know, as Christians and non-Christians alike, we can do the same thing with our perspective of God. Because we've all grown up, perhaps, with an idea of what God is like and how God works. Maybe even if you've grown up in Sunday school. I mean, I didn't really grow up in Sunday school so much, but... A lot of you have grown up in Sunday school, heard the Sunday school stories, and that forms a, a kind of an opinion of what, how you see God. You see the miracles or the judgments and different things, and you think, oh, that's, the kind, that's, that's what God is. Or maybe just from what other, someone else's perspective of God, you've just heard things of what God's like, and that's made you form your opinion of God. And perhaps that's not always a balanced view or a balanced pers- perspective of what God is or who God is. So we can kind of fall into that sometimes. I know I can if I only read certain parts of the Bible and don't read other parts and find out what he's actually like. So sometimes what we need is a fresh perspective of God. And that's my message this morning. It's called a fresh perspective. And we need this. We all need this. Whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, whether you've been saved a little time or a long time, we need a fresh perspective of God. We can't just go off our old, stale perspective. And, you know, those, those perspectives in the past perhaps were accurate, but maybe we just need to open up a little bit to what he's like all the time, not just when I was younger or not just last week. So we need a fresh perspective of God. So praise the Lord that with God, he's always taking us on a journey forward. And Michael just read in Exodus 6 how the Lord was talking about his people and bringing them out of Egypt. He was taking them on a journey. He wanted to take them on a journey 
And it was a long journey. He was doing a lot of stuff. And that's what he's doing with us. Wherever we're at today, wherever you're at today, he's taking you on a journey. He's taking you forward. He's not taking you backward. He's not making you stand still. He's taking you forward. He's taking us on a journey. So the Israelites were going on a journey. The Israelites were being brought out. And I'll just get you to notice here in Exodus 19, uh, starting at verse 17, it says this, And Moses brought, this is at Mount Sinai, they've already come out of Egypt, come through the Red Sea, the Lord's done a few things here, and they've come to Mount Sinai, and God's going to do something great here. Verse number 17, Exodus 19, says, And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. To meet with God. Now we came this morning, I hope we came this morning to meet with God. Not just our friends. Not just because we have nothing better to do. But to meet with God. So they came out of the camp to meet with God, verse 17, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as a smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. Think about it. These Israelites have, don't have the full understanding of, of, of what's happening or what even has happened coming out of Egypt. They've been told God's going to bring you out of this, bring you out of bondage, out of slavery, and you know there's, there's, there's a land that's ready and waiting for you. But... They don't have a full picture of who God is. So they come through out of Egypt. It's a bit of a rush and it's like all this whirlwind of stuff happening and the seas part and they go through and they're going through and they're being led by a pillar of cloud and fire and, and they get to Mount Sinai and it's now, now you're going to meet with God. And this mountain has fire upon it, smoke upon it. It's quaking. And look at verse 17, how they responded, how they felt. All the people that was in the camp trembled. So they were, they were frightened. They weren't just trembling because the, the mountain, the, the, the ground was shaking. It was a frightening confrontation with God. Almighty God. And it said that they only knew him as, as God Almighty. They didn't know him as Jehovah, the self-existent one. So there was more to their understanding of who God is to be expounded and to be found out. But they were coming face to face with this mountain that was on fire. Imagine that this morning. That when you came to church, this was all on fire and there was smoke bellowing out of the whole stage because God was here. That's pretty confronting. That would make you feel something maybe a little bit different than what we normally feel when we come to church. But this was a little bit frightening. Trembling, verse 16. So the Israelites' perception of God was somewhat related to fire and smoke and quaking, loud voice coming out of the, out of the mountain. And it wasn't just that when they got to Mount Sinai that this happened. Just enter into their, their thought process and maybe even just the last little, little period of their life a little bit. They're at Mount Sinai now, but what happened before that? Well, they were taken out of Egypt and they were led through Egypt. So flick, we're going to look a little bit in Exodus here this morning. Flick to Exodus uh, 13 for me, Exodus 13. So they're currently at Mount Sinai, but we're just going back in time a little bit. Exodus 13, verse number 3. 
And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which ye came out from Egypt out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. So Moses saying, Hey guys, God brought you out of Egypt. God brought you out of the bondage. God's doing this work in your life. Look down at verse 21, 21 and 22, Exodus 13. And this is how the Lord brought them out of Egypt. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way and by night in a pillar of what? Fire. To give them light to go by day and night. It says, verse 22, He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Hmm. They're at Mount Sinai. They came to meet with God. Fire, smoke, quaking, loud voice. How did they come out of Egypt? Fire, cloud, a little bit similar, forming an opinion of what God's like maybe, but maybe not a full opinion of what God's like. So this whole time of coming out of Egypt, they've been led by this big, huge thing of cloud and this big, huge thing of fire. They didn't have Jesus Christ in person right in front of them like the apostles did. They didn't have you and me right in front of them. They had this thing of cloud and this thing of fire right in front of them. So they're forming an opinion of what God's like. Hey, when you come into contact with fire, usually it's like, whoa, like stay away. Or smoke, that's, that's a signal because there's, there, there's something you know, going on there. So cloud and, and fire is not normally, ah, oh, relaxing, pleasant. Maybe if you're like a little bit cold like it is now and you have like a fireplace that's contained, but that's not, <laughs> that's what it would have been. Sorry, sound guys. <laughs> But think about it, this is what they knew God as. Huge, big, fiery cloud thing. And I know they knew he was more than that, but what are they seeing with their eyes? How are they being led? What's forming, what are they forming opinions about God with based on what they see? So that's coming out of Egypt. Let's, let's rewind a little bit further back than that. So let's go to Exodus chapter 9 and see... How else they've been forming an opinion. And we can do this. This is what I'm saying. We can do this from, from, our, from our whole life of even just reading the Bible church or talking to other people about God. We can form opinions of God and it can affect how we act toward him or don't act toward him. Exodus 9, uh, verse 22 to 24. This is the plagues in Egypt. Very familiar passage. I'm not going to go through all the plagues, but this is how God was working there. And obviously he was bringing these plagues to the Egyptians, not to the Israelites, not to the Hebrew people. Uh, But verse 22 says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man, upon beast, upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Verse 23, And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail. What are they seeing? Fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. What are they seeing? They're seeing God equals fiery hail thunderness. Understand? They're seeing, I just created a new phrase. But that's what they're seeing God as. Look at, look at verse 24. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail. Very grievous. Not, not, not comforting. Grievous. Such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. 
So yes, God was doing a work to get them out of that place and he was bringing these plagues to the Egyptians and and showing his power. But these Hebrew people are seeing God in these things of fire and thunder, hail, smoke, loud stuff happening, confronting stuff happening. And then they get led out with this big fire and this big cloud. And then they come through and they get to Mount Sinai and they're trembling before this mountain that's on fire and a big thundering quake voice coming out of this mountain. A lot of that doesn't really fill us with comfort and nice warm fuzzy feelings just even when you read that. And maybe it's not supposed to. But all I'm saying is these people perhaps formed an opinion of God that wasn't a full picture of him because they'd just been seeing this side of him. And maybe we do that a little bit. Maybe that's what, what you're coming to terms with now. You think, maybe I don't know God as much as I, I can know him. Maybe I don't tell other people about what God is, is like as a whole. Maybe I'm only focusing on one aspect of God. So we need to have a fresh perspective of God. And that's obviously we're going to see that in a minute, how Moses gets a fresh perspective of God, how that affects the people there. I just want to bring you along this little journey a little bit. So let's flick back to Exodus 32, where the people are at Mount Sinai before the mountain. The people are trembling before God. God's talking to them out of the mountain, talking to Moses, talking to them. Fire and smoke's happening And God's given some laws and laid down expectations. And then he calls Moses up to the mount while the people are left with Aaron. And we know, well, most of us would know the story that they're they're left there, down there with Aaron. Moses is up on the mountain with God. Moses and God are talking, communing with each other. And the people rebel, say, hey, what's this guy doing? Let's... We need someone to lead us, gods to worship and lead us out of this place. So let's build this... Uh, golden calf and it's worship this and basically they disobey everything God had already told them. So Moses is given the first lot of tables, the, the Ten Commandments, while the people made this calf and disobeyed God. Exodus 32 and we'll have a look at a few verses here from verse 7. God noticed what the people were doing. God noticed the people's sins. So verse 7, the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. So God knows everything that we're doing, everything we're going through, and he notices sin, obviously. Look down in verse 9. God plans here to execute righteous judgment. Hey, folks, God's allowed to do that because he's God. He has every right to execute righteous judgment. Sometimes we, we try to take things in our own hands, but when God does it, it's always righteous. It's always right. So he never does anything wrong. He never does anything wrong. Amen? All right. So God plans to execute righteous judgment. Verse 9, The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Verse 10, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them. So he was going to wipe them off. He was going to wipe them out. They're disobeying me. They didn't, they're not doing what I told them to do, so I'm going to wipe them out. What happens? Moses pleads with God to spare them. 
Praise the Lord for people that intercede in other people's lives on behalf of other people. But Moses pleads God to spare them, verse 11, and he says, Lord, why, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to do this and have everyone talk badly about you that because you brought them out of Egypt to kill them out in the wilderness? That's what's going to happen. And uh, verse, verse 13, Moses says to God, Remember, God, remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. So Moses is pleading with God. He says, remember the promise that you made. Remember what you said. Remember what you're going to do. He's pleading on behalf of the people. And verse 14, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. So he chose not to consume them. God chose not to exercise that righteous judgment right there. So he's, you know what he did do? He executed mercy, long-suffering. He executed grace. He executed abundant goodness. That's what God did right there. When he didn't wipe those people out, he showed grace, he showed love, he showed abundant goodness, he showed mercy, he showed kindness. But I'll put it to you that I'm not entirely sure that's what the people saw when Moses came down from the mount. Because when Moses came down from the mount, after he said, God, don't kill them, he threw those tables on the ground and he came down and he ground up that calf and he made them drink it. And then he basically said, who's on the Lord's side? And they were separated. And then 300 people died that day because they said, no, we're not on the Lord's side. And so there was, a, there was a consequence for that. But I'm pretty sure that those Hebrew people did not go, oh, look, Moses, he's representing God and he's showing this abundant goodness, this grace, this loving kindness to us. I don't think that they saw it like that. But that's what God was doing. And this is what I'm getting at, is our perspective of God can change how we see him and what we think of him and what we think he's doing in our lives. Because he actually was showing them long-suffering and grace. He was dealing with something at the same time. So he wasn't just one or the other. He wasn't just a fiery judgment God or a God that loves. He's both. He's all, all at the same time. And he does it well. <laughs> he does it perfectly. So I don't think that they saw that. And perhaps they didn't see God's mercy or long-suffering because of their perception of this God that just has a whole bunch of rules to follow. Exodus 34. The second set of tables God gives. So God calls Moses back up to the mountain. <clears throat> and this time, God reveals more of who he is to Moses. And just think about this for a second God's going to reveal himself more to a person who can then share that with other people. Don't feel left out if you didn't get called up to the mountain and God didn't reveal everything to you individually. If he revealed it to someone else and then had that someone else share to you how good God is or why God is good in this bad thing you're going through, don't get upset because the message didn't come straight to you. God's giving you the message. You don't have to be Moses. 
But praise the Lord when God does give it to us individually, personally, like he does sometimes. But God reveals more of himself to Moses. That even the most spiritual person needs a fresh perspective of God. Because Moses, I'm not, I'm not discluding or excluding Moses from this need of having a fresh perspective. He needed it as well. He might have seen God as a fiery, thundery God a little bit as well. Maybe not so much as, as the people, but hey, when God revealed, to him, revealed himself to him the first time, what was it through? A burning bush. Fire. That would have been confronting. So I'm just saying that even the most spiritual person, even the most mature person still needs to have a fresh perspective of God and continue to refresh it that it doesn't get stale. And this fresh perspective of God is not to replace what we already know about God, but to complement it. So if we already know, like the people knew, oh, God, God is a God of judgment. He's a God of, you know, there are things he expects. Okay, but he's also this. They're not in competition with, with each other. It's to complement each other. That gives us the whole well-rounded view and understanding of who God is to balance it. So Exodus 34, it says, uh, verse 4 to 8, and, and Moses hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning, went up unto Mount Sinai as the Lord commanded him, took in his hand the two tables of stone. Verse 5, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And what did he do? He proclaimed the name of the Lord. When it says he proclaimed the name of the Lord, it's not saying he just said, this is my name. He's saying, in my name is who I am. Everything about me. The fiery judgment part and the loving kindness, gracious, merciful, long-suffering part. He said, Moses, I'm going to proclaim to you my name. I'm going to proclaim to you the full spectrum of who I am. Or perhaps the spectrum that the people are not getting just yet. And I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to proclaim that to you because they need a fresh perspective of who I am. So it says, he proclaimed the name of the Lord, verse 6, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. What is he like? What's in his name? He's merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. What else does he do, verse 7? Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Wow. That's a fresh perspective of God. Verse 8, and Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped, just like that song those guys sung. You know, we're going to bow, we're going to fall before him. Holy, holy. That's what happened to Moses. When he got that fresh perspective of God, he went, wow, I need to get down and worship this God. These people need to know that he is this kind of God. Folks, you and I need to remember that he is that kind of God. Even when things look like he's being fiery and judgmenty, he is long-suffering. I wonder why Moses got to see and experience this part of God. Was it just because God said, hey, 
Moses, uh, just pick you randomly, come up here, and I'm going to show you. I don't think so. I think it had to do with a verse in Exodus 33, if you just flick back with me. Exodus 33, verse 18. This is Moses and the Lord talking, and Moses says to God in verse 18, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Moses asked for it. Moses said, I want to see your glory, God. Maybe I've got some thoughts of who you are. These people maybe have some thoughts of who you are. But can you show me your glory? Can you show me the full spectrum of who you are? Because I want these people to see it as well. Because I'm leading them. I want them to know it as well. Who is it in your life that perhaps doesn't see God quite as he is? Have you asked God to show you his glory so you can share that with someone who needs to see it? Someone who's going through something difficult and thinks that God is just a God of judgment and just bashing them every time they do something wrong? Are you asking God to show you his glory so you can share that good glory with that person? Or so you can remind yourself, that's right, I'm struggling with this thing, but God is still actually long-suffering and faithful and kind and abundant in goodness through all of this. This is what it's meant to, to be for us, is that we remind ourselves of these things, that we share it with the other people so they see who God actually is. He asked for it. And what did that do? This fresh perspective of God changed Moses. And you probably know what happened after that, but let's have a look. Exodus 34 Verse 29 to 30, and it came to pass when Moses came down from the mount, so after God had proclaimed his name, shown him who he was, he came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in his hand. And it says at the end of verse 29 that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So while he talked with God, his face was shining. And it doesn't just mean it's just glowing a little bit. It's not just a little bit of natural glow. It's shining beams out. That's what that actually means. It's shining out beams. That's confronting. That's like, whoa, what is this? You know, these lights are nothing compared to what was happening coming, out, coming off Moses' face after he saw who God actually was. His face was shining. And it says here in verse 30, And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. This showed the Israelites something quite different to smoke and fire and all of that, but it was still confronting because they had only really kind of seen him as the fire and the smoke. And now they're seeing this glowing face, which is reflecting really the name of God, who he is. That's confronting because it's something new. It's changing their perspective, changing their understanding of who God is. Do you get that when you read about who God is? Does it affect you that way? Because you've got to ask God to show you that and then it can affect you that way. They were afraid to come nigh him. Perhaps Moses, think about this, and you know, this, is just, this is just my opinion, but perhaps Moses, after coming down that second time and he's talked with God and his face is shining, maybe he said to the people, you know, God showed you mercy and long-suffering by not killing you off the first time. Maybe he shared that with them. 
Maybe he said, you know what you saw as fiery judgment and God just being angry because you broke his rules? Maybe he said to them, it wasn't just that. Actually, it was him being long-suffering because he was going to kill you all. And I asked him not to, and he didn't. He showed long-suffering because that's the kind of God he is. See this glow off my face? That's, that's who he is. He's a good God. He's a loving God. Guys, I'm telling you, he is not just what you think he is now. He's so much more than that. And that's what we get. We get to find out he's so much more. He's not just the, the Bible stories of the plagues in Egypt. and pff. He's a God that spares people. The reason that we're all here today is because God is long-suffering. The reason you can hear my voice is because God is long-suffering. The reason you have opportunity to get saved is because God is long-suffering. Not because he's a fiery judgment God. He is that, but he's both. All at the same time. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a family member of ours, kind of family member, almost a family member of ours, who's not in this room. Uh, and, and recently they got themselves in a bit of trouble. So they, had, they were driving on this dirt road, uh, out, almost out in the middle of nowhere. I think it was a Friday night. And, and I think we got home from youth group or something like that. And it, it had a late night. So it was about 11 o'clock at night. Get a phone call that this person has got into a car accident, as in driven off this, come over a rise in this, in this dirt road where there's just trees and everything on either side has gone down this embankment, hit a few big trees along the way, flattened them, gone through a barbed wire fence, and their car was just somehow, it's like God just positioned it amongst all these trees and they basically had not a scratch on them. And this is someone who doesn't believe in God, doesn't want to hear about God, doesn't want to know about God at all, like do not talk about God. So we get a phone call, hey, can you come out and help? So we drive out, Aaron, so however long it was, find this car, how it was. He'd already gone back to, to where he was staying. He'd walked back and we went back down with him because he showed us where this car was and I took photos of it. I just couldn't believe it, that he was alive, that he was walking, that this car, I don't know, there's no, it's just no explanation how this car could actually be where it was because there was big trees all around it. God spared his life. Like, that's, that's just all it was. God spared his life. But, you know, 1 a.m. in the morning when he's just had an accident, I wasn't going to be saying, you know, what God spared your life, mate? <laughs> we were just there to help. A few days later, <laughs> he's on a motorbike doing what he does and has an accident, cracks a rib, breaks a rib or two or something like that, and we're just like, are you serious? Anyways, and then like one or two days after that happened, we're at a family function and I'm sitting there and on the, way to, well, on the way to the family function, I'm just like, Lord, he needs to get saved. And I know you spared his life, but can you just give opportunity for something to happen here at this family function? So we're sitting there and without word of a lie, he said to me, you know, I think God spared my life that day. And I was like... Okay, you opened up the conversation. This is, I'm allowed to say whatever I want now because you mentioned God. But that was not the time for me to say, 
yeah, and God's a fiery judgment God and you got everything you deserved. You know, you got that cracked rib or broken rib and you deserve that because you're just living a life that doesn't... That wasn't the time to do that. That was a time for my face to shine, the name of God, his loving kindness, and say, yes, I think he did actually spare your life. You know why? Because he loves you. Because you're valuable. Because he's the one that can change your heart. And so we actually had a conversation and he was asking, how did you, you know, come to get into Bible stuff and, and God stuff? Like he, doesn't, he didn't even know what to say, the terminology. He's just like, you're like a God person. But he was asking. He was asking. And so I just saw it as an opportunity, kind of like Moses, I reckon, come down from the mountain and go, this is who God is. Because he, this guy, this, this guy I was just talking about, he was already of the opinion that God was a fiery judgment God who's just going to slap you every time you step out of line. You know, don't wanna, I don't want to come into the church because, you know, it's going to fall down on me, like that kind of thing. He already had that opinion of him. I didn't need to confirm that God actually does, he does have a judgmental side of him. I didn't need to confirm that. I just needed to give him a fresh perspective of God and say, yep, God is a loving God, actually. And I think he took you out of that situation so that you could come to know him. You know, we're still praying for him. That, that didn't get him saved that day. But I think, I think that's what we need sometimes is we need to have ourselves a fresh perspective of God, but then we have to share that with other people. And I think Moses was doing that. I think he would have had opportunity to do that. But the question is, why? what's the practical outworking of having this fresh perspective? Yes, you can t- tell people, but what does that do after that? Well, I want to show you something here and then we'll be done. Exodus 35. So the, the next biggest thing that happened after all of this in the Bible narrative <coughs> happens, Exodus 35. So what's the practical outworking of a fresh perspective of God? I'll tell you this. It's a changed heart which leads to giving, which leads to service. A changed heart which leads to giving, which leads to service. How do we see that? Look here, Exodus 35, verse 4 and 5. And Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Why? What were they going to do with this offering? They were going to build the tabernacle. They were going to create the thing that represented God. They were going to give to a work that represented God, that allowed them to worship and serve God effectively. It was not like the offering they gave when they made the golden calf. That offering was for self. They just wanted that for themselves. But this one is saying, hey, give of yourselves an offering unto the Lord, verse number five, whoever, whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of the Lord. A willing heart. So you only give willingly because you see something in that. You see value in that thing. So Moses came to them and said, hey, God wants us to build a tabernacle tabernacle which is going to help you, it's going to represent him, and he wants you to give willingly. Well, they would only give willingly if they actually loved God, if they actually honoured God, if they actually respected him and understood what he was like, if they didn't just think he was a fiery judgment God, 
if they knew he was a long-suffering, gracious, kind, abundant in goodness and truth God. A willing offering. Verse number 10, Exodus 35. And every wise-hearted among you shall come and make all that the Lord hath commanded. What were they going to make? Look, verse 11, the tabernacle. Verse 12, the ark. Verse 13, the table. 14, the candlestick. Keeps going down. Verse 19, the cloths of service. All of these things speak of the attributes of God. Everything in the tabernacle has some kind of symbolic nature to who God is and to his attributes. So they saw what God was like, Moses' shining face. He would have no doubt shared with them what God was like and then said, hey, because you know what God's like, give unto the Lord. Sacrifice unto the Lord so that we can make this tabernacle that represents the Lord. We're a different nation. We're a peculiar nation. And we're the one who represents who God actually is, a loving God. So give unto that. It represents his character. It gives a balanced view of of who God is. And now they had opportunity to give to this work and to be part of it and to represent God. A little bit like how Moses was representing God. Verse 21, have a look at this. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up and everyone whom his spirit made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation and for all his service and for the holy garments. Their heart was changed because they saw God in a different light now. Their heart was changed so much that they were willing to give up the things that they had. Hey, we take up an offering every single week and you know what? Sometimes we probably do it just because it's what we do every week. But isn't it great when we give to the Lord because our heart has been stirred up? Because we remember who God is. We remember that he's worthy of it. Not just because I've already set up an EFT to come out every week. But because he is actually worthy. Because he is long-suffering. Because he could consume me at any time. He's loving. So we give. And then we serve. That leads to service. Like there was opportunities to serve throughout the tabernacle, to make the things for the tabernacle. It, it was, there was a lot of involvement there. So this fresh perspective, we need it to lead and we need it to follow. We need it to lead other people, but we need it to follow God. So we are following the God that, we, that he actually is, not just something that we've thought up in our minds. And here's the thing, God will never change. He's not like us. We, we can be a little bit up and down, roller coaster like but God will never change. So what does that mean? Well, we might know that he, he is fiery judgment at times, and rightly so, he's allowed to be. But we also should know that he is a long-suffering God at the same time, and that means he's always like that. He doesn't change. So if you get to a point in your life or you know someone who's going through something and they think God is just fiery judgment, no, you can tell them that he's not just that. He is also long-suffering and abundant in goodness and in truth. He doesn't change. So just need to shift our perspective a little bit, get a little bit of an understanding. And hey, everyone you meet is not going to know all the Bible stories and know what Jesus Christ is actually like. They're not going to know all that. So maybe you're the Moses in their life. Or maybe you're the Moses who just needs to get it yourself so then you can share it with other people. Maybe we need to do what Moses did in Exodus 33, 18. 
Beseech him to show you his glory. Ask him, Lord, just show me your glory. Maybe I'm just not seeing it quite right. I want to help that person. Can you help me to show your glory? Help me to know what is held in your name. That's it. So I pray that's a help. I pray that can help us to reflect him better, can help us to minister to people better, help us to see our situations a little bit differently because God allows them. Why does he allow them? Well, there's a whole lot of who he is and why he allows them. But we need to work that out. We need to, to find out this fresh perspective. Ask him for it. All right, let's have a word of prayer and then, then we'll be closed this morning. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, that your word is good, that your word is perfect, that, Father, you are perfect, that you are holy, and that you are the, all these things we talked of this morning. You are long-suffering. You are merciful. You are gracious. You are abundant in goodness and in truth. And, Father, we thank you for sparing us. Thank you that you are continuing to lead us and do a work in us and through us, around us, Lord. I pray for each of us here this morning that we would have a greater understanding of who you are. That, Father, if there's things hindering us from seeing who you are, that you would please remove those things from us and and help us to have a fresh perspective of an almighty, loving God. I pray, Lord, that we would also not just keep that to ourselves, but, Father, we would lead others in that, that we would reveal that to others and help others to understand who you are, that you're not just a God of rules and, and regulations, but you're a God who wants a relationship with us. Father, we thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would help us in our actions, our words, to continue to reflect who you are, that more may come to you, Lord, more may know your goodness, that, Father, we have opportunity to bow before you. I thank you for that. I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for helping us as we, as we looked in your word today. I pray these things would continue to sink down into our hearts and minds and affect us, Lord, in more ways than we can probably even think of, Father. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we do ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well...